general nerdery. Patient notes. Tyler Ruiz and Zach Johnson. Case file 09282020. Observations by Dr. Jeremiah Arkham, head of staff, Arkham Asylum. Continuing documentation of patients Rees and Johnson, despite my best efforts, no significant results have come for my attempts to return them to reality. They continue to insist they are the generals of nerdery, hosts of a podcast about liking things. Despite their delusions, I am forced to admit that their pacing has dramatically improved. Other than an altercation with Condiment King in the mess hall, the two have remained non-violent and are considered low risk. Continuing monitoring is recommended. Look, like I keep telling the doc, if I wasn't a general, why would I have this hat? <laughs> Look, Condiment King was asking for it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Condiment King is always asking for it. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, poor Condiment King. <laughs> Anyways... Welcome to General Nerdery, our fictional podcast about liking things. As we already mentioned here, I'm Zach. I think it's a real podcast about liking fictional things. <laughs> I'm Tyler. Uh, and as you may have noticed from here, we are once again returning to the, I almost said realms, to the halls, the almost certainly cursed and haunted halls of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, we're going to talk about some more Batman villains today. Do what we originally wanted to do on the previous episode, but realize that we had to cover all the important guys first. Welcome to the B-side. We have things to do before that, though. What have you been ingesting this week, Tyler? This one... I didn't want to say that. I wanted to say that I busted through, like, 12 more hours of The Witcher. That was my plan for this weekend. Was it Tony Hawk again? No, it was, I loaded up and I was going to do my fucking dailies in For Honor and found out that it was a double XP weekend. Oh, so you've done nothing but For so Honor. So I just, <laughs> I went hard because other than just keep up with the, the new season and the fact that there's still one more hero that's going to be released this year, or this year, early next year, like there's not much left that I actually want to accomplish in that game. So seeing a double XP weekend meant that like, I could get like halfway there in two days. Yeah, you could get way ahead. So that's kind of all I did. That's okay. I have talked about this one about 14,000 times over the course of the 40-odd episodes we've done. But I finally, finally fucking finished Food Wars Shokugeki no Sama. All 36 volumes of the manga. I do not want to admit how many volumes of this manga I have bought in the last three or four months. The answer is 36. <laughs> Finished it this morning. Nice. Very nice. I, I actually am, had, just the other day, I had somebody being like, man, I keep hearing this Food Wars is really good. It I is intend on starting it soon. on main. Uh, and the anime, I finished the first season of the anime too. And it is so much more uncomfortable to watch than read because, like, it's it's a fan of the fan service, as we have discussed, but it pauses and jiggles a little more in the anime mm. than it does, like, you know, one <laughs> panel of boob as opposed to a solid, like, 15 seconds. I'm like, Jesus Christ, she has a face. That's <laughs> hilarious. But it's annoyingly good at the same time. I am kind of conflicted about the ending and i am told that the the anime which i hear has an abbreviated run in its final season i don't know if that's covid related or if just fuck it let's finish you're right the final arc had some really great scenes in it but you also could have skipped it entirely and lost nothing 
Okay. Like, it didn't really... It didn't really add, add anything? Yeah, like, oh, there were some nice moments there. And, like, at the end of the arc before, where they had originally intended to end it, they skipped forward, like, six months. Uh, because they decided that they had a little more that they needed to wrap up that they weren't quite finished with. A lot of the characters really quickly got kind of abandoned. It turned And... Um, they started rushing through the scenes a little bit mm-hmm. because they had a bunch more food wars to do and food fights, but they didn't want to do round after round after round after round again. Like it was just, I, you can tell they were starting to get bored with the concept. Uh, and then they finish it really abruptly. And then they come back with another time skip for like a kind of Harry Potter's final chapter, 10 years later, kind of thing okay and it's significantly better than harry potter's 10 years later time skip but once again was really unnecessary again i don't hate it i am making it sound worse than it was but it was a noticeable drop in quality that made me go oh man we didn't we didn't really need this like you could have ended it where you did or where you were intending and lost not yeah nothing but I also read six volumes of this. You could have dropped it and lost nothing in like three days. So clearly I'm still having fun with it. Right. I, okay. I don't want to leave it off with what I've been ingesting on just a fucking video game that I've been you like. You are weirdly embarrassed about this. hate playing for like the last year. <laughs> which, ask anyone that plays that game like regularly and it is truly hate playing. But... <coughs> Um, for the other podcast, I also watched a movie twice this weekend and I am really enjoyed it. So I'll bring it up. Uh, and then you guys can listen to me talk about it in a week over on fried squirms, but it's called Gemini by the director Shinya Tsukamoto. Um, based on a 1920s mystery short story, Hmm. a Japanese mystery short story, uh, an Edogawa Ranpo story. Who's pretty famous for like, his short stories get basically an adaptation a year in, in Japan. Oh, he's one of those. Yeah. He's like their uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay, yeah. I hear Enola Holmes is super good. I keep hearing it's really good, too. Okay. I I was glad I wasn't, like, imagining that. I was going to watch it, but, oh, I guess this isn't what I'm ingesting, but what I'm going to ingest as soon as we're done here. Untitled Goose Game Unleashed two-player mode. Oh, okay. Uh, and CC and I's date night tonight is uh, making some burritos and mm. playing some goddamn Untitled Goose game. Nice. Um, so, yeah, Gemini's the other thing. It's all about, like, a um, abandoned twin, uh, abandoned, long-lost twin brother come back for revenge by trying to usurp his normal brother's life. Okay. Really, really good. Um, maybe uh, one of the more beautiful films I've seen by Tsukamoto, too. I've watched a couple of his now for that show. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Excellent. That's that's I'm gonna that's the other thing I've been ingesting. I watched it twice. <laughs> it's including, not just for honor, I swear. Yeah, not just for honor. And I was even like watching the making of when you showed up. Mm-hmm. So because I found out that the making of was actually directed by one of my other favorite Japanese directors, which is really weird, but strange, but good. <laughs> yeah. It also weirdly leads into what I was going to lead off my news stories with. Oh, 
because we can probably go into news unless you added no no else we, we've already talked several things and i wasn't going to bring this up until i saw the list of the things that they were doing and i realized what time of year we are at we're going into halloween spooky or season. into spooky season people are going to be wanting to watch scary movies we've been planning episodes in advance kind of with this with this in mind and I just got an email earlier today that um, Arrow Video is starting their own streaming service. I wasn't going to bring it up because, like, I actually really like Arrow Video and the stuff that they do. But I didn't think it was going to be really worth it till I started scrolling through. And I'm like, oh, people want to watch scary movies at this time of year. And they have some really good ones that they're going to be launching the service with. They're, they're worth bloody disgusting on this, aren't they? I thought I saw something about this. Uh, possibly. Okay. Um, Arrow does a lot of like cult titles mm. and they'll put out like super duper awesome, like really revamped collectors versions of these movies from like seventies, eighties, older, the kind of shit that's your bread and butter. Yeah. I mean like here I have my, my arrow copy of killer clowns from outer space that I just handed over to you. So you can sort of see what I'm talking about and like open that shit up. That is stuff. a lot of K's. <laughs> So I guess I, I just wanted to point out that they're starting the streaming service uh, at the beginning of October. This looks that awful. I'm sorry. I'm listening. <laughs> that has, a, like, a I think a 30-day free trial. So you can get all your spooky streaming in and then never pay if you don't want to. <laughs> you know, we talk about people doing that. And I've done it before. I've but I've also before. had an Amazon Prime subscription for two and a half years because I forgot to cancel my free trial twice. And so as someone who also does a horror movie podcast, I wanted to point out, like, they've got some good stuff on here. Wizard of Gore, Blood Feast, uh, 2000 Maniacs, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, Audition, which going back to the... Japanese horror and why I said it tied into what I've been watching is because they do have uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man on here which is uh, Shinya Tsukamoto's first movie. You are one of many people who have talked up that movie to me and then I go I don't like horror movies and they're like but it's so good great <laughs> it's that sounded that sounded sassy of me I apologize no no no, no. <laughs> it's uh it's not for everyone uh minors <laughs> Minor spoiler, it ends with <laughs> it ends with the protagonist and antagonist fusing together into a giant penis tank and rampaging down the streets, threatening to turn the whole world into rust. Great. <laughs> Just great. <laughs> uh, that happens. And I cannot recommend the movie highly enough. <laughs> uh, Reanimator, Ringu, um, What Have You Done to Solange, Don't Torture, Duckling, Hellraiser. Okay, even I have heard of some of these, so that's a... The, it's an amazing lineup. A number of films that I also am still getting around to watching myself. And so I might actually, like, get the arrow streaming. Cool. Well, we'll see. I wasn't going to bring that up, and now I'll get into the actual news. All right. Something you brought to my attention today. Oh? Due to the fucking the episode we just released. Uh, 
the day we're recording this is the day that our Transformers episode drops. In that episode, that I'm sure you've listened to because you never would miss an episode of General Nerdery, we talked about how much we both fucking loved the Beast Wars line of toys. Today, they announced that they are relaunching the Beast Wars line of toys at a shockingly affordable price range that is not good news for my wallet. I was about to say, guess who might be buying oh. some of the new Beast Wars toys? Oh, I, I saw at least four of them that I'm going to buy because I desperately wanted them as a child, and I have a desk to decorate soon. So that's happening. I don't know. There's not much more that we can say about that, but it's just like, wow, we have really the, good the timing. The timing on was too perfect to not mention it on this one. I mean, that's the thing with the arrow. The timing, <laughs> the timing of that streaming service is too perfect with it going into October right mm-hmm. now. Uh, all right. So we know who our Hawkman is going to be in the Black Adam movie. And I do not remember his name, so I'm glad you have it written down. Uh, it is Aldous Hodge. I've actually realized I've only seen him in two things. I've only seen him in Leverage. Okay, I he has a small but decently important part in the latest Invisible Man. Okay. And so I actually watched that just like a month ago. He's great in it. Mm-hmm. How much Supernatural did you watch? Basically nothing. Did you get into the second season? No, I mean, oh, when I say okay. basically nothing, I mean like... Two and a half episodes. Because when I was trying to figure out where else I had seen him, I realized that the only other major thing I would seen him in was like an episode or two of Supernatural in the second season. I've, I know him from Leverage, where he plays kind of a computer hacker thief character, um, which is very much not what I think of for Hawkman. But looking at him, he looks like he's bulked up in the last, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15, whenever the fuck Leverage came out. Uh, and he was good. In that, I actually, he was probably my favorite part of Leverage, which I had a very love-hate relationship with watching. Uh, yeah. The other thing is, seeing his casting makes me embarrassed that I still haven't watched Straight Outta Compton, where he plays MC Ren. Yeah, that was the other thing. I was like, oh, clearly this guy has more range than just computer nerd hacker. I, honestly, just even though his part was kind of small, just from Invisible Man, I'm excited to see him. Like, I, I think it's going to be good. I like Black Hawk, man. I... Especially, you know, reincarnation of Egyptian king. I realize that not all Egyptians would have been dark skinned, uh, but but a lot of them would have been. It's a character that we don't need to whitewash quite as much as Carter Hall. Yeah. Continuing on the DC side of things. I we're getting a fucking John Cena peacemaker show written all by James Gunn and. First episode directed by James Gunn. I believe so. I think it's only going to be an eight-episode miniseries, something like that. But It is apparently he had a little bit of time in between when he was supposed to start Guardians 3 and when he's supposed to finish Suicide Squad. And they're like, you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, I do. Um, Good. Yes. I'm, thank you. <laughs> thank I'm you. In, it'll be interesting. Uh, Cena describes their version of Peacemaker as what if Captain America was a douche or Something along those lines. I don't remember if that's the exact insult he used. I it I trust James Gunn making superheroes enough that I'm excited for this. And I have a kind of weakness for Peacemaker because I think his helmet is absolute fire. I love Peacemaker in that bizarre 60s science fiction slash superhero look. 
He also comes from Charlton Comics. I've always been a big fan of Charlton Comics. I was listening to a different podcast point that out and point out the fact, and they couldn't think of any other examples, and I'm going to pose the question to you. Would he then be the first Charlton character in a movie? I think so. The Charlton characters, which Watchmen was all based off them. Or a TV or a live action TV show, but he's going to be in the movie too. so. So I will give who who they were at the same time, like who the Watchmen inspiration was at the same time. First, we have Peacemaker, who is the inspiration for Comedian. He has never appeared in anything. Um, Blue Beetle, the original one being Dan Garrett. The second one, the one that Charlton actually used being Ted Cord. Mm, Ted Cord did not appear anywhere that I can think of. Uh, Jaime Reyes, Jaime Reyes, sorry, very white. The third Blue Beetle, who is not a Charlton character, but continues that property, has appeared a couple of times. He appeared in an episode of Smallville. Not very well, but he appeared. Oh, wow, really? I didn't know that. (laughs) uh, It is a very weird, bulky, like, actually, Ted Cord might appear in that episode, but just as... Ted Cord. Right. I was I was trying to think if he, I think Cord has been mentioned in the Arrowverse, but he's never shown up. Mm-hmm. Real quick, Blue Beetle was the reference for Night Owl. It's not Batman mm-hmm. like everyone thinks. Next would be Captain Adam, who was the inspiration for uh, Dr. Manhattan. He has a semi-prominent appearance in Justice League Unlimited. Oh, and pretty much all of these characters appeared in Batman Brave and the Bold. True. I can't think of a live action time that he would have appeared. We have Nightshade, who would have been the inspiration for Silk Spectre. Although she actually had powers, unlike Silk Spectre, who was just sort of there. Mm -hmm. Who hasn't appeared in much of anything. Uh, she has a non-speaking appearance in one DC animated movie that I can think of, Batman vs. Superman, which is too bad because she's kind of cool. Um, and then last, we have Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, who was the inspiration for Osmond Deus and is the only one not currently controlled by DC. Dynamite currently owns them because uh, Kieran Gillen, who has written a couple of really great series recently wrote a Peter Cannon Thunderbolt series that's been described as, like, this generation's Watchmen. Okay. At least in quality, it did not take off in the same way, because this generation's Watchmen is... Lots of things are trying to be that. Mm-hmm. Although, if anyone's going to pull it off, it's going to be Kieran Gillen. And I don't think he's ever appeared. Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. I guess I could just call him Thunderbolt, but that's just yeah. what the title was is easily the least known of these not very well-known characters. Oh, and there's the question, who was the inspiration for Rorschach, who had also a notable set of appearances in Justice League Unlimited. But not live action yet. Nope, not live. I was trying to think if he appeared in Gotham or anything, but no. Yeah, I haven't watched enough. That's the thing. I'm like, considering the characters we're talking about... A Charlton character could show up in Stargirl, but I haven't been watching it. It could, not that I've heard of, and I feel like that one would come Mm -hmm. up. The question would actually be a really great character for a movie. I think of any of them 
he has some of the most possibility. The the faceless look is really strong anyways. Uh, question is always like Kevin Smith's go-to. Like, what character still you... needs to be adapted that hasn't been done yet? He's like, well, the question, because it's creepy as fuck. Like, Well, and there's a range of ways you could go with the question. The original one, because Steve Ditko, who created him and Blue Beetle and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, or at least was involved, like, was a co-creator of those two, was an objectivist and follower of Ayn Rand. And I have laughing thoughts at that, but we're not going to get into that. So his uh, question was an objectivist. Mm -hmm. uh, very Fountainhead Atlas Shrugged. Later on, he was changed by Denny O'Neill into a much more zen kind of character. Uh, that series I have never read. I've always wanted to, but it's been out of print forever. And collected editions are usually like 300 bucks. And I work at a grocery store. And then... I mean, I think on if we're going to get a question and we're... In it'll this be day and age, it'll be the Renee Montoya, probably not the Vic Sage. But I will just, the last fun one to talk about is in, he, when he appears in Justice League Unlimited, he's a conspiracy theorist. Oh, I kind of like that. If you Have you never watched Justice League Unlimited? Uh, very little. It is. Like three episodes, maybe? It is absolutely excellent. I like it better than the original Justice League cartoon that they did, partly mm -hmm. because they do all the C-list, D-list characters. Right. But in that one, he's dating the Huntress and is a crazed conspiracy theorist, like, yarn connecting things on his wall. Yes. And, like, he's only on the league because Batman basically insists because he's a great detective. And then he actually uncovers real conspiracy theories and, like, slowly loses his mind and tries to murder Lex Luthor. Like, it's so good. Hmm. Okay. But Peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting Peacemaker. Cool. That's what that all was about. When we get closer, maybe we'll do a Charlton episode, because it turns out I apparently have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> this I just kind of wanted to bring up real quick to see what your thoughts might be. Mm -hmm. For having already done and canceled the Swamp Thing show, they have been putting out a lot of promos for it airing its first season on CW. Oh, I didn't know it was airing its first season on CW. Yeah. Either they are desperately trying to make up some of the money that they... Because that was an expensive show to do. Yeah. Because they built the set thinking it was going to be used for multiple seasons. Mm -hmm. They're either hoping to make up some of that money, or they are low-key airing for the possibility of returning the show. I'm wondering if maybe they're being like, hey, HBO Max, if we do good over here... Do you think you can get us back on with, like, Doom Patrol and those guys? There's no way they're not thinking about it. I mean, if they're airing it on WB, they're definitely, like, trying to get something out of the show. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a low-key reboot attempt. What with WB kind of being their moneymaker? Mm -hmm. Also, it could be just a way to get people looking at HBO Max a little closer. Um, I've just, it's been so weird for a show that's already been canceled that they're even like from episodes that you can go watch right now. If you have DC universe, they're like releasing images to magazines. Like it's the first time people have ever seen this shit. Like <laughs> we're showing you sneak peeks in at episode one of swamp thing. That came soon out two years on, ago. Yeah, soon to <laughs> premiere on the CW. I'm like, but well, I've, I've watched this. Thanks to having uh, streamer money, 
it has a budget that the CW has never managed on a TV show in their lives. That's true. It's going to be the prettiest fucking thing. It's going to be, hands down, the prettiest superhero show on the CW when it airs next season. And honestly, CW's got a pretty good record of good-looking superhero shows at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, TV limited budget, but, like, they they have their look down pretty solid. So being the best looking of that will legitimately be pretty impressive. On the sadder side, no more Supergirl. Final season, season six, is going to be the final season. The writing has kind of been on the wall with this one for a while. Supergirl never made quite as much money as they wanted. Well, it already almost died after season one when... Because season one aired on CBS. CBS. And they decided not to pick up season two. But with agreements to a few budget cut things... Uh, basically filming in Canada in, I think, Montreal is where a lot of the filming goes down for a lot of shows. Because it's, it's, it's they get like they're filming their tax breaks there or something yeah. like that. A lot of shows use that area. So I'm not surprised. And then especially when they announced Superman was getting a TV show, two super shows was never going to happen for very long. Well, and uh, Melissa Benoist and Chris Wood just had their first kid. Is Chris Wood from? Uh, he played Monel, and they just got married. Right, I heard about that. That and they, they were, were a married. creepy couple on the show, and a not creepy couple in real life. Yeah, they're adorable in real life. Um, um, and, and they were married by David Hare, who plays uh, Martian Manhunter. That's awesome. That's so good. Uh, it's a bummer that the show is ending, but at the same time, six seasons is a very respectable length, and it's. A lot of times, season seven and eight of an ongoing show, if you can get it, is usually when the shows start taking a dive in quality. Not always. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I have watched science fiction shows and went, man, if they had ended at, like, season six, that would have been just about, like, it is a bummer to lose one of the only female-led shows we have, uh, one of the better shows in some ways, it also had the most changes after Crisis on Infinite Earth, so I'm not surprised that it's just... I know Kevin Smith is super bummed. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it's going to wrap up. I'm glad that they're getting a season to wrap it up. Yes. Like, it's not just axed and we're not getting anything. If they had just finished it, I would have been unhappy. I also get that COVID has done that to a few shows that was not originally the plan. I'm curious to see exactly how they're going to wrap it up, because I have a feeling they're going to want to leave it open enough for Melissa to come back in, considering they do have a Superman show going. And it would be weird if they just completely axed off his cousin. Well, and The Flash, because she's very close with Barry, mm-hmm. and like those two are buddy-buddy, and super cute together. I'm just going to get that out there. I really like Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoit's uh, chemistry together. Have you watched the musical episode yet? Yes. Oh my god, the Super Friends song? so it's a bummer that supergirl's ending but at the same time we should really celebrate a six season supergirl show because that's really impressive there's i don't know if it's an upside but there's one maybe upside that i'm wondering um with them axing this and like bringing in the superman show and sort of just rearranging things in the wake of Arrow actually being canceled, uh-huh. really. I wonder if they're like finally going to try to set some of these characters a little bit closer to what we normally think of them as. Because, like, 
Arrow started as like Batman Light. Yeah, it was uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, the TV show. Which then meant Flash isn't completely not the Flash, but for a number of seasons, he also had to sort of like stand in as Superman. Yeah. And then we got like Supergirl is kind of the show that like Arrow, like comic Arrow should have been considering it's been the one to touch most heavily on actual, like, social issues. Yeah, it was the big weakness of Arrow, one of the big weaknesses of Arrow, and I liked Arrow more than I didn't, Yeah, is that, and D, uh, D, not WB, CW does this a lot, that it was a lot of entitled rich guy. Mm-hmm. Like, even when he lost all of his fortune, he was still somehow extremely affluent rich guy. And Green Arrow, while he has been rich several times, has often been the social issues comic book. And the fact that they never really dealt with that was a weakness of the series. So now it almost feels like there's an opportunity to start getting everybody feeling more in their veins, especially since they're now apparently free to play with the big people like Superman. I doubt they're going to get Batman still. I still doubt they're going to be Batman, but... We'll see if Batwoman keeps not quite performing to what they want it to. Uh, they'll might be like, oh, well, people like the man more than the woman, which is sad because Batwoman kicks all sorts of ass as a character. Um, I think Flash is the next one to go. Either Flash or Legends. I love Legends to death, but I can see that going before Flash. The reason I say Flash is it's getting kind of long in the tooth now as a series. It's what, season seven? Season eight? Eight? That is a long series. Like, we now have Supernatural with it for 15 goddamn years, so it's kind of thrown most things out the window, but before Supernatural, the longest-running science fiction TV shows, not counting Doctor Who because it's its own beast, was uh, Smallville and Stargate SG-1 that both ended at 10. Right. So, 8, 9? That is... That's pushing it. That's a respectable TV show for literally anything. anything. Um, And I I, mean, in the day and age of Netflix, most of those shows are getting like two seasons and done. Right. And I bet the Flash stars are going to start to get more expensive than WB wants to pay when they're like, I've been doing this for 10 goddamn years. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're... Good point. (laughs) Good point. I can just narratively, and especially with where they've what they've been doing lately with I still love legends, but the latest season had barely anything to do with interacting with comic properties at all. Legends has always been the out there one. If it lasts, it's going to be because they have so much free range to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have to be true to the characters because almost no one is anything close to what their comic book equivalents are. If they have one, right? Like, White Canary in the comics is definitely not Black Canary's little sister, but is super the assassin Lady Shiva being weird. Whereas White Canary in the Arrowverse is one of my favorite characters. Oh, she's fucking great. She's the best part of the Arrowverse. Yeah, yeah, probably, actually. <laughs> uh, I think I was sold on that when in season one of Legends, like episode one, I think she gets stoned and then just like... Clears out the first two, like yeah, yeah and like, clears out sure an entire really room. Like, like, I'd have to smoke so much more than that too. This was on the CW. 
I watched the C. It was the WB when I was a kid, but like, mm-hmm. this is where I watched Smallville. Way to go! Normalization oh, so of cool. weed. Yeah, and her just like getting it on with every famous chick throughout history. Oh yeah. Normalization of all things cool. But anyway, sorry, Supergirl. Hope Kevin Smith gets to, Kevin Smith, not Smiths. Gets to direct an episode like he's openly really wanting to do. Um, <laughs> he's had some really good episodes on there. I think he's had better episodes on Flash, but... Yeah, but he really... I mean, he'll want to be on Flash, too, on his final season, yeah, I bet you. But he really likes Melissa Benoist. Ben, ben, Benoist. Benoist. You do say it all. I found that out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I've said it once right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, because that's one of those names you look at and you're like... You're like, that's French, right? Like, I I skipped the last, like, half of it. (laughs) (laughs) I maybe say the B. Like, (laughs) look, man, I took French in college and I had the worst accent in the class. The teacher told me until I adopted that rule and they went, wow, you're doing so much better. I'm like, you have to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say until I started trying to sound like Gambit. (laughs) no. And you're no, if in the you want to sound like <laughs> X-Men the Animated Series on anything, then you are not doing good choices in your life, sir. I got one big Marvel thing, and that's we got Nick Fury's going to be getting a show. I heard about that. Sam Jackson as Nick Fury is going to be getting a show, which means I think we can account on eight episodes only because they don't want to pay him that much. That's a lot of money. There is a lot of money to pay Sam Jackson to do a thing. I think it'll be good. I don't have any thoughts on it really other than cool. Clearly he fucking loves playing Nick Fury and he fucking loves being paid to play Nick Fury. And it could be super cool where his story is going because last we saw him, he's heading out into space. And we're not going to get too much more time with him on the real no. scale of yeah. things. That's true. Because let's not be a bummer, but he's in his 70s. He's not Patrick Stewart old, but he's not a young man. That's true. It's true. I am not ready and for either of those two. Oof, oof, that's going to be rough. Okay, and I think this was one other thing from today and ties into the different things we've been talking about throughout the comic book industry. Archie and Comixology have come to a deal. And the Archie catalog is going to be releasing on Comixology through their subscription day and date. Oh, shit. Not many comics do day and date for digital. Uh, digital. That is admitting what way the comp- or the industry is going. And I'm not crazy about it, but I also acknowledge that that's the way the industry is going it's Archie so it's they are a big enough name that it's like a big deal for comiXology it's a big get and honestly that's a big get for Archie to get out there in a way that Mm -hmm. Archie hasn't since the like 40s and to capitalize on the fact everyone knows Archie from Riverdale now yes Archie is no longer just the digests that they sell at the, like, supermarket that even I don't bother to pick up. Right. Because they're bad. But they're also a small enough, like, if DC had made this deal or Marvel, that would have been groundbreaking. That would have been 
industry changing. Where it is right now with Archie, it's big. Because it's Archie. Because it's Archie, but it's not a huge percentage of the industry sales, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... um... I think that's the thing. It's like it's such a well-known property that them doing this is big. Is it a giant percentage? No. But since I don't watch Riverdale and since I haven't watched Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I keep having to remind myself that the Archie renaissance that's going on is not just like a couple of good comics that they released that sell surprisingly well. I had uh, it is a multimedia renaissance. Just last week, I had a coworker who is not really into much nerdy shit at all. Ask me if I know when that last season of Sabrina is coming out. Oh yeah, I forgot you you watched that show and really liked it. That's right. Well, I I don't know soon. <laughs> I got I don't, I, I don't actually. I, and I was just taken aback for a second, and I'm like, oh yeah. There's a weird intersection in our likes right there, isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Good for... It is a real get for comiXology. Mm -hmm. I'm very confused by the Archie Renaissance. Like, I credit to it, but it is strange to me. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Um, Like, it'll be bigger once DC does the same thing, but... Yeah, once DC and Marvel start going day and date... As it, Thank as God it is, our local comic book store makes most of its money off of games at this point. <laughs> yeah, because uh, at this point, they're still only committed till uh, six months after for both of their services. Six months is a lot. I, I, you know, a month, maybe. I think that's they're going to start going more towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they'll start going day and date on uh, Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe at a premiere price maybe weird and gross um sorry terrible capitalist yeah well we'll see what happens um that is uh like you said though it might be uh the winds are changing a little bit oh the winds are changing we're just figuring out where the fuck they're taking us right now right uh that's all i got for news all right let's uh take a quick break and then I was going to say go into the low security part of Arkham Asylum, but based off some of the people we're going, don't do that. Don't don't, don't put them in low no. security. <laughs> so as I mentioned before, this is kind of what we wanted to do with the first episode, because we're like, let's talk about the Batman villains people don't know. And we're like, wait, we should probably cover the ones they do first. first. But because Batman has arguably the greatest rogues gallery of all time, it's him or Spider-Man. Like, let's be honest. Those are kind of the top two as overall galleries. There is just so many listicles that we could make of this. And we will. We're already talking about (laughs) what the C-list is going to be. But before that point... Who are we going through on these ones? You don't have to list off all of them at first if you don't want, but at least who are we starting with? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, either I was, way, you can Well, I was curious too. if there was any particular order you wanted to go in, because I didn't write them down in any specific order, but I do have them all here in front of me. How about you list them all first, then, and we'll decide who to go with. All right. We got uh, Man Bat. <laughs> Hush. Yes. Hugo Strange. Okay. The, the ventriloquist slash Scarface, Calendar Man, 
and Professor Pig. Our B list is a weird B list here, but it a makes very sense. educated B list. Uh huh. Well, Batman likes to beat up educated people <laughs> a lot. Like yeah, he does. I've heard some weird leftist theories that Batman as a comic is very anti-intellectual. Because <laughs> how many of his enemies are doctors and professors? And extremely ableist. Like, if you... It's not hard to look into some really legitimate critiques of Batman, even if I don't necessarily buy the critiques. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even more than Spider-Man, Batman likes to beat up professors. <laughs> Let's go with Hugo Strange first, because he was the first to appear by a long shot. Right, all right, so Professor Hugo Strange. Professor Hugo Strange first appeared in Detective Comics uh, number 36, February 1940. Batman himself first appeared in Detective Comics 27, so this is issue 9 of Batman's first appearances. Super early. Created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Another thing that Finger has done for us. Hugo Strange predates the Joker and was originally intended to be the big villain for Batman. Um, I don't think he predates Alex Luthor. I think he might have been an attempt to kind of make Alex Luthor. Openly, they wanted a Moriarty for Batman's Sherlock Holmes. Well, I was going to say, as I was reading, because I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, most people don't know a lot about some of these villains, that's and that kind of includes me a little <laughs> to an extent. Like I've read, a, I know a little bit of Hugo Strange, but I didn't know a lot of Hugo Strange. And I was, as I was reading through his backstory, I'm like, wow, this guy's been almost killed as many times as Moriarty. Oh yeah. He looks a lot like depictions of Moriarty too. He tends to be not very tall, bald. He has those creepy round. He always has perfectly round glasses. It doesn't look right, really, if you don't give it to him. And he tends to have the kind of chin beard with no mustache Mm -hmm. that if you are not Amish makes you look like a serial killer. I'm sorry, guys. It's it's true. It's not our fault. (laughs) It's it's the chin beard with no mustache. It's not the Amish's fault. No, they look. It looks fine. It's just a, a thing. Hugo Strange literally doesn't have that much depth to him as like a backstory. He is a professor of crime. He is literally, they just kind of took Moriarty and stuck him in the Batman world and gave him the ability through chemical and experiments to turn people into monster men. He does monster things a lot. (laughs) Uh, My favorite adaptation of him that I've ever read is actually literally called Batman and the Monster Men. It was a, the guy who did Grendel. Um, Oh, uh, Matt Wagner. Matt Wagner did a series of like year one Batman stories. And in one of them, Hugo Strange was the character like Batman. He tends to have trained his body to extreme levels. A lot of times he decides that he is going to replace Batman multiple times, even creating a Batman suit for himself, which is always creepy. Hugo Strange is one of my favorite Batman villains, partly because of the history behind him. But I have to admit, it is very limiting what you can do with him story-wise. I think for me, my biggest exposure to Strange has probably been Arkham City. It is absolutely Arkham City for almost anyone. Uh, He was looked to be the main villain in Arkham City and then... Twist reveal, oh my god, it was the Joker. Surprising no one, even <laughs> if it's a game made 10 years ago. Um, but Strange was a very 
Strange was well done in that. He was creepy. He was a douche. You, because uh, at random times he'll send out messages to you, like specifically. And like the first time you find Crime Alley, which by the way, in that game is chilling the first time you end up in Crime Alley and you find a tape player because Hugo Strange has figured out who Batman is mm-hmm. and is like taunting you. Ooh, it's good. Ooh, it's good. Uh, that and then probably like his appearances in Young Justice, which haven't been much, but he's been in a few times. He tends to appear a lot in the background stuff. He appears in Justice League. I think he makes some appearances in Batman the Animated Series. Uh, yeah. A lot of times, if you want an unethical scientist or unethical therapist, like psychologist, Professor Hugo Strange is a good go-to. I think it kind of undervalues the character, but also I get it. He did have a ongoing appearance in Gotham played by BD Wong. That's I love that casting and I like how he looks in character, but I never got that far in Gotham. Yeah, I did not care for Gotham. I don't really know BD. Oh, no, he was the guy from Jurassic Park. I was correct. It's it is extremely good casting. We know he can play the kind of weird scientist because we watched him in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Uh, and, you know, more diversity and representation. Although, evil supervillain, not the only role we want to give people of color. No, but, but he I still was, like it. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. He was good in it. I am being possibly overly critical there. I like m- recently, they, I say recently, I mean like five years ago now, they did a crossover in all of the Batman Rebirth comic books as like the second storyline called Night of the Monster Men, I think. Okay. Uh, The guy that wrote Midnighter was the main writer behind all of it. Oh. uh, And did a really spectacular job with it, where the main villain, and he's making a bunch of fucking chimeras, is Hugo Strange. And it did a pretty good job of Hugo being a strange combination of incredibly sure of himself and like egotistical, you know, Moriarty kind of Sherlock Holmesy. I'm the prime human being on earth while also being kind of a, a deep seated self-loathing that makes mm. him want to be Batman instead. Like, do you think there's anything that could be done to re to re put strange into a place of prominence in, in Batman's rogue gallery? I think it can be done. I am not sure how to go about it. Possibly you need to hush him. And we'll get to hush in a moment here. Mm. But basically have the big reveal that Hugo Strange has been behind a big big trap by the bat or uh, manipulating the other villains. Really place him in a position of power and don't end it with him being defeated End it with him in a, you know, I don't need him to be the kingpin of crime, but I need him finished in a place of real rivalry against the bat. And as much as I just said, I liked this story. Don't do the story of he is trying to become Batman to deal with his own inadequacies. Right. We have done that story several times. Both the ones I mentioned did that story. They're both extremely good, but let's up the ante here. 
Um, a lot of times they tend to make him a government employee or an Arkham employee or something along those lines. We don't need it. Yeah, I, was about, I think in Young Justice, I think he works in Bell Rev. Yes. He's the uh, the psychologist that is... No, he's the prison warden. Yeah. That is he, helping like get out. funnel them out, which was good. It was a good use of Hugo Strange. Mm-hmm. But we don't need him to be a government employee. We don't need him to be an Arkham employee. Or at least, like, if you want to start him there, fine. Although rebooting him again, like, every time reintroducing him and everyone is surprised that, oh, shit, Hugo Strange is a bad guy, <laughs> is a little boring at this point. But let him be what you wanted him to be. He is the Moriarty of the Batman universe. He is the professor of crime. Have him manipulate a big thing that even if it doesn't fully work, leaves him and a few others on top. Have him be someone that a villain can go to if they need help. Maybe if they need henchmen. Like, have him be like a supplier or like an advisor for other Mm -hmm. villains. Maybe have him uh, kind of villain business in some ways could be a good thing. There are a lot of things you could do with the character other than just... He's a psychologist that secretly wants to be Batman. And have him make Monster Men. Have him make minions when you need them. Um, also, you know, if you were telling a... You couldn't do this in the steady continuity, but if you had your own room to fuck with continuity, make him the guy that creates Venom. Oh, okay. Because not Venom, like yeah, Spider-Man yeah, Space, yeah. but the, the Venom, the, the drug that empowers Bane... Have it be a variation of his monster serum or an expansion of his monster serum or a prototype. Like, Mm -hmm. have it related to that because that fits within his wheelhouse of crazy-ass chemist on top of crazy-ass psychologist. Has anybody ever tried to make a familial relation between Hugo Strange and Adam Strange? No, but I desperately want that to happen now. (laughs) How common can the strange name be? Right? (laughs) The other idea that you just wildly gave me is Hugo Strange somehow finds himself on the planet Ran. Holy fuck. Takes over the Ranian fucking black market or underworld. And Adam Strange, space adventurer, has to deal. Oh my God. Let's pitch this to DC right now. Now, space chimeras, space monster men. He gets fucking access to like Thanagarian and whatever else. Like that would be basically Moriarty finds himself facing off John Carter, warlord of Mars, but without the Confederacy thing involved. You have the, the Zeta tubes tied to Adam Strange's DNA sequence. And we don't realize that they're related until it works for Hugo Strange. Or they don't even realize they pick him up or something like that. Like, you know, thinking he's the only person left alive of his family. They just like lock on. Oh, we can't just lock on to the entire strange family and thinking it's just like him and his daughter or something. Mm -hmm. And then you find out that it also accidentally transported Hugo Strange. I don't know. Whatever tech details. But where Adam doesn't. Copyright Zach and Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we need to go the way that other podcasters have done that I have seen before. 
where they talk about liking comics and eventually get a job writing comics. <laughs> and come on, it's Adam Strange. Like, I know Tom King's writing him right now, but other than that, no one really gives a fuck about him. Let us do it. This is low risk for you. Yeah. I love this idea right now. I also don't have much more I can say about Hugo no. Strange. No, there's not a lot of Hugo Strange. He was created to be the big villain, and then that other villains happen. took off because I've read those original appearances. They're fun, but they're nothing to write home about. Joker's first appearance, and I'm not even a big Joker fan, is leagues better than the early Hugo Strange stories. Uh, where should we go on from Strange, then? Do what? we want to keep with the, with the Doctor's? Yeah, let's go with... Uh, well, we already mentioned him. How about Dr. Thomas Elliot? That sounds good. Dr. Thomas Elliot, a.k.a. Hush, a.k.a. the guy that got me back into comic books, was created by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee in Batman <laughs> 609. First appearing is Tommy in Batman 609. First appearing is Hush in Batman 619. Hush is so cool. Hush is the reason I ended up 100%ing Lego Batman. Because you could get Hush? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. That makes me want to do it. I think 100%ing it actually got you Raish. Oh. But I had gotten so many other things done. <laughs> trying to get Hush. That getting the things done to get me Hush basically 100%ed me. I mean, you can't see it, but in this room, we've put up a poster that has a picture from Batman Hush. Yeah. I own it's not volumes Hush, one and two of Batman Hush, like when they uh, first edition released yada, yada, mm. yada, signed by Jim Lee. Ooh. They are some of my most valuable possessions from a like Ooh. emotional point. They're some of the only comics I won't lend out. Um, I don't, th I might have told this story before in high school. I had fallen out of superhero comic books. They had killed off Mary Jane and Spider-Man. It was the only superhero comic I was following at the time. I got really mad, stopped, was only reading manga and anime. And then of all things, when I was like 15 or 16 years old, I was going to go watch the movie Underworld. And I had some time to kill between like when I bought the ticket and when it, and there was a Hastings nearby mm -hmm. showing my age here, first Underworld and Hastings. Uh, and there was a Batman cover showing a skeleton in a Robin outfit. Right. Okay. And at the time I still thought Robin was dumb and really quickly in this issue realized how wrong I was. And I was like, fuck it. I, I'll pick this up. This is pretty. It's Jim Lee art. That is just fucking gorgeous. And it was one part of the hush storyline. And I read it like six times, bought it and then read it in the dark theater while Underworld was playing because it was better. <laughs> Hush got me into comics. That moment is one of those moments in life that you can directly trace as like game changers. Mm -hmm. So while Hush, I agree with reviews that it's not the greatest Batman story ever written. It's pretty goddamn close. But it's in the top 10. It's one of the most gorgeous comic books I have ever read. It is Jim Lee at the absolute top of his game. And Jeff Loeb at the top of his game, too. Like, when Loeb was still writing really good comic books, this was one of his highest points. And from the emotional point, it just means so much to me. Maybe we should... We should actually tell who Hush is. Yes. About, yeah. No, sorry. Uh, Dr. Thomas Elliot... 
uh, grew up as a childhood friend of Bruce Wayne. Uh, they befriended a- each other because they both had two first names as names, Thomas Elliot and Bruce Wayne. <laughs> if I remember right, Thomas is usually shown even as like a child to basically be a high functioning sociopath. Oh, he is absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say this. We are probably using some really ableist language in this conversation. I apologize if that's the kind of thing that bothers you. It's a fair critique of pretty much everything Batman. He is definitely a high functioning sociopath. When you first meet him, though, you don't know this. No. Because he, uh, Batman gets injured. he's four. <laughs> no, I mean, when you first oh, meet yeah, him yeah. in the comic and he's an mm-hmm. adult. Uh, when you first meet him, Batman gets injured. Thomas Elliot comes in as a professional surgeon, saves him. And you find out that they had been close friends and they both lost parents in similar fashions. Uh, Thomas Elliot in a car crash where his father died and it, his mother didn't die, but was paralyzed or something. His we, mother was saved by Thomas Wayne. That's right. We later find out that Thomas Elliot had cut the brake cord of his parents' car because he was trying to get the inheritance. Um, I think in a later Hush story, it is revealed that his mom was like super abusive as opposed to like the Waynes. But in the original appearances, that's not a thing. I think it was his dad was super abusive and his mom was a doormat, which basically led to him to have no respect for either of them and thinking that they were more useful as being his inheritance. But he basically swears vengeance on the Wayne family for saving his mother, which is mm-hmm. buddy. And then is jealous of Bruce Wayne because Bruce's parents both died. It went according to plan in Thomas Elliot's world. He isn't around forever, which is a weird way to explain, but in his growing jealousy and obsession, he ends up teaming up with the Riddler who has figured out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and had a like brain tumor or something. And Elliot healed him. He was dying from cancer and took a bath in a Lazarus pit. And while he was insane from the Lazarus pit, um, he put together that Bruce was Batman. Mm -hmm. And he ended up teamed up with, I haven't read hush in a long time, but the reveal that Riddler is also behind it. Sorry to spoil a comic that came out in 2005. It was 2003. I don't know. A long time ago was also fucking great. These two team up together to manipulate Bruce Wayne's life and try and destroy him. They, amongst other things, manipulate him to a point where him and Catwoman end up in a relationship. Although it was a real relationship on both sides. They just made sure that it happened Mm -hmm. to put him a little more emotionally on edge because it turns out Batman is not good with things like revealing his secret identity or being emotionally open to people makes him a little raw that he gets injured. They fake the assassination of Dr. Thomas Elliot by the Joker. They fake the return of Jason Todd with Clayface. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, they will later bring back Jason Todd within two years of this comic coming out. And they tried to claim that he was part of this and that they just swapped him out for Clayface, which makes the big reveal from this story not work at all. So I just admittedly personally kind of ignore that. Also going to get it out there. His Clayface's 
uh, Jason Todd returned costume is phenomenal. Mm. It is great Jim Lee art. They mess with Commissioner Gordon somewhere. They heal Two-Face in an attempt to fuck with him more, not recognizing the fact that when you fix Two-Face's face, the Harvey Dent personality was able to resurface. I was about to say, that's kind of what fucks them. It really messes them up because Harvey's like, wow, that is shitty. (laughs) We should not do that. Uh, Scarecrow has been like secretly gassing people. Huntress is losing her mind. Uh, Soups gets pheromoned for a bit. By poison ivy. Croc has been mutated further. They steal a Lazarus pit or something like that from uh, Rajal Ghoul pissing off Rajan Talia. It is one of those, much like another character we'll bring up, Jeff Loeb was very good at bringing in various characters and having a mastermind behind it, which is you know, what I was just saying I wanted um, to happen to Hugo Strange. And we eventually meet Hush, where he has to disguise himself. And a couple characters had done this throughout the story, wrapped their faces in bandages, and they were always all wearing the same uh, trench coat. Yeah. And it's eventually revealed to be Dr. Thomas Elliott. Dude, I just... Even the simple design of Hush, I'm like, oh, you you take just the fucking guns akimbo of like Deadshot mixed with Negative Man. I am there. It's perfect. I never thought about Negative Man before, but you're right. It's the exact same. His face is covered in bandages. Um, it works in a way that it probably shouldn't, like in live action, because he's appeared in Batwoman. Yeah. Which is one of the strongest arguments I've heard for Batwoman. Nothing against anything else in that show. I just really like Hush where he looks a little goofy, but he still looks good. But in that Jim Lee art style, it is just so cool. Uh, Hush has been my, like, I, I want them to do like a movie trilogy that leads into Hush being behind it all the entire time. That's been like my dream since I've read it. He is in Holly or in Gotham where he is portrayed by a Gabriel man. Gabriel Mann, who was also in Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Okay, because this says it's Cole Vallis and Gordon Winterick. that's as Tommy when he's a little kid. Oh, okay. Sorry. And then he appears in Bat... Oh, in Batwoman, he is Gabriel Mann. And the other two, he is... The little kids. Yes. My bad. No, that's fine. I'm glad he is a big get for Batwoman, who does not have a rogues gallery of her own, really. Hush is a good one on that front. He's another anti-Batman, which means no story has ever topped his first appearance, because when you're trying to be the Batman but evil, you can only be defeated by Batman so many times before you get really pathetic. His next couple of appearances after Batman Hush were actually really bad. Now, I haven't read them. I know some of what happens to him. And I like the ideas of what happened to him because he ends up kind of getting punked by the Wayne family, like by the Bat family. Later, for, later on, that happens. His first couple appearances afterwards is just, as I said, kind of pathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ends up teaming up with a very pathetic version of Prometheus, who we're not talking about in this one, but is another great anti-Batman villain. He later gets some really cool stuff going on. Uh, he ends up remake it because he's had plastic surgery a couple times. He's really not opposed to it. He remakes his face to look like Bruce Wayne. 
to attempt to really fuck with Bruce Wayne and steal the Bruce Wayne fortune. Because this is right after Batman R.I.P., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that part is right before. Oh, okay. But they take advantage of it in Batman R.I.P. because he reappears looking like Bruce Wayne because they're not admitting in Batman R.I.P. when Dick Grayson is Batman that Bruce is dead. Mm-hmm. Because the original Batman disappears, which they're also trying to not talk about too much. And Bruce Wayne disappears. It's too easy for a few for a good detective to put the, put the clues together. And during this time, working out the Bruce is missing or dead or whatever. Hush shows up pretending to be Bruce Wayne. Thinking he's going to be able to steal the fortune and super fuck with it. And I don't remember how do you remember this part, how they end up like turning this against him. I don't remember how they turn it against him, but they basically trap him in the position of being like, Oh, Oh no, you're completely like you're completely fucked and cut off if you try to do this. So we're going to basically just make you be our Bruce. We're blackmail. Like you don't get to show up much, but every once in a while we'll release you into the wild. So you can be Bruce for us. And if not, your life will be bad. I do remember from this era, Damian Wayne ends up like hanging out with him in prison a lot. Not like playing chess with him or something like that. And hush is messing with him because, and he realizes Damian Wayne has a very strange relationship with Bruce Wayne, particularly this early on. And uh, he looks like his dad and this like crazy assassin, eight year old kid that's trying to learn not to be a crazy assassin with daddy issues. Wants to hang out with the guy that looks like his dad while still fucking hating him. (laughs) So (laughs) I think he also ends up getting his Bruce face cut off. Yeah, he... Because someone else wants to become Bruce. His face changes a lot. Who wants to be Bruce in that one? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think it's, isn't it some chick? I can't remember who. I read Batman intermittently. So I followed bits of this and then lost it. And then because none of it was happening in the main Batman book. Because uh, I was reading the only Batman I was reading at the time was Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. And most of this was happening in like detective comics and stuff, which is was also a very good book. I just have limited funds in many comics. He later re- Oh, sorry. Do you have, well, I was going to say, actually we just due to him and his history. We actually have a really good segue into an, the next character, but I can do that whenever. Um, I was going to say he later appeared in Batman eternal, which was a weekly Batman book that came out for close to a year. That was another, Let's upend Batman's life and who's the real mastermind behind this. And for a moment, it looks like it's Hush. He was, you know, the like level two mastermind Mm -hmm. and had some really good appearances in that one. Uh, As I said, nothing has ever topped Hush's first appearance. And I don't know if you can. Admittedly, my own emotional connection has something to do with that. But considering they adapted that story to DVD within the last year, it has some staying power. It's fucking great. Um, I've not seen that adaptation. The hut. Oh, I haven't watched the adaptation, but I was going to say that story is great, and also might have my favorite bats versus soups. It is a really great battle, and again, it is drawn by the legend Jim Lee, who actually like that was the last time in his life that he maintained a regular schedule for the most part. That man cannot release a monthly book to save his goddamn life. <laughs> A part, though, of Hush's, of Dr. Thomas Elliott's backstory, what he did before he showed back up in Batman's life, was he dated someone for a little bit. 
someone who was the second ventriloquist. Oh, I did not know this. That's amazing. He dated Peyton. Interesting. That brings us to villain number three and four, sort of, and kind of five if we go into <laughs> kind of. uh, Scarface and the Ventriloquist. The Ventriloquist, I think most people think of is Arnold Wesker, mm-hmm. the first Ventriloquist. Real quick. Not the one that Thomas Elliott dated. <laughs> the Arnold Wesker version of uh, the ventriloquist first appeared in detective comics number 583 february 1988 he was created by john wagner alan grant and norm brafogle brief brief i don't know. i'm sorry norm uh by norm i think norm is dead too so i'm sorry ghost of norm our boy um, norm he's this is a really great Batman creative team. One of the best ever created or ever done. The second version, Riley, first appeared in Detective Comics 827, March 2007, created by Paul Denny of Batman the Animated Series fame and Don Kramer, who is a excellent artist. And the third version, Belzer, I do not know her last name. Uh, Shauna Belzer. Shauna Belzer was created in Batgirl 20 in July 2013 by Gail Simone and Fernando Passerin. She's actually the one I've probably read the most about. Oh, okay. And she's the one I don't like. But it's... Right. Shauna Belzer is the one that's possibly actually a metahuman, right? Possibly actually a metahuman and really uncomfortable. Let's... Let's talk about Wesker first. Okay. And Wesker's who I always think of because it was the Wesker version minus the speech impediment that appeared in the animated series, which is yes. what I think of. Which is where we picked him up. I honestly, of all our characters here, he is absolutely the one I know the least about. Okay. I know a couple really weird little things. Like, otherwise I'd just be like reading off a page, but like... There's a point where Wesker gets Scarface replaced with a sock called Socko, which I thought was funny because Mankind used Socko in the WWE. I did not know. I knew about Socko. I did not know about Mankind using Socko. Uh, But then the better one is he's given a um, placeman puppet at one point, and it's Chief O'Hara. Oh, that's a great reference. Um... (laughs) Chief O'Hara was a character in Batman the Adam West series, in case you don't know, which is a fair thing not to know. So, Wesker was born into a mafia family of some kind, develops disassociative identity disorder uh, after seeing his mom assassinated, and uh, becomes a ventriloquist as his kind of only outlet. His biggest weakness of it is he cannot pronounce B. So, Gatman and Roggen. Right. Basically, his lips move if he tries to make a B. So he and so, in order to keep it up, he now in his original appearances with the uh, puppet ventriloquist, not ventriloquist, Star- Scarface, which is a kind of mob-looking. I mean, villain. he's what like stereotypical twenties. Yeah, mobster. super stereotypical with it. Uh, in some versions, that puppet is haunted, and that was my favorite version when I was a mm. kid. In some ways, I still. It doesn't hold up to other things like the aforementioned Sako or things I'll get into, but... Right, because it's hinted that, like, it's responsible for other deaths even when it's outside of... Yes, it's been hinted as responsible for other deaths. There was an origin story of it that I read once years and years ago that was creepy and interesting. 
I like that as sort of, I like that idea in general, but I also really kind of like the idea that Arthur is unhinged enough that his puppet personality is the dominant personality. Well, and to make it creepier, uh, in some versions, the Scarface puppet, like, uh, was created from the remains of the gallows from Blackgate Prison. Uh, there used to be a... Because the Scarface puppet actually has a name. I do not remember what it is. Uh, Woody. Woody, but like Scarello or something like oh. that. And it was revealed that there was actually a mobster named that. Um, oh, I right. kind of prefer the idea that he is just adopting this. Uh, one of the interesting things about Ventriloquist, one of the weird things about him is sometimes he'll be like apologizing, being like the puppets making me do it. And usually the puppets holding, looks like the puppets holding the gun. He's like, Oh God, I'm sorry. Like I'm just imagine being a henchman for this fucking guy. Like it's going to be better than being a henchman for the Joker, but that that's not going to be a fun job. Right. Riddler's supposed to be awful too. Uh, there was some comic I read where a henchman reviewed like, who you want to work for, and the answer is really kind of penguin and no one else. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, actually, two face. If something goes like there's a fifty fifty like shot, penguin probably gives his henchmen benefits. Oh, like, they, it's supposed to be great to work for the penguin. He pays them well. He takes care of you. Um, uh, some like Killer Croc in some versions is surprisingly like good to work for. Two face is super uneven. Joker is just don't do it. Every now and then, Solomon Grundy's a little bit more mobster-like. He probably wouldn't be the worst at those times. He wouldn't be my number one choice, but he probably wouldn't be the worst at those the times. The mobster ones are going to be the ones you want to work for, as opposed to, as I said, you don't, no one wants to work for the Joker. No. Like, that's, no. you're going to die. Yeah. That's almost the it's entire... It's how horrible. How horrible are you going to die? Joker by Brian Azzarello and Lee... Pretty much the entire point of that comic is that. And if you don't die, Batman's putting you in traction for half a year. Yes. Bad things. But Wesker would be a weird... It would not be one that you would be like bragging to your friends about. But on the scale of things, you could do significantly worse. Mm -hmm. Wesker, as we said, he has picked up several other... Puppets. The biggest Wesker story I've ever actually read is he appears in Batman Earthquake, Batman Cataclysm, okay. where an earthquake hits Gotham and destroys it. And a is that, uh, Quake Master. Yes, a person claiming calling himself Quake Master claims that he has created the pup or has created not the, created the puppets, created the earthquake. There's a fire truck. I'm gonna let that go past. And we'll do it again unless he is given a shit ton of money. It turns out that it is just the ventriloquist who had made a puppet and is sending in videos of his own goddamn puppet. And did surprisingly well because an earthquake had just hit Gotham. They had much bigger things to worry about. Mm -hmm. Like, they were already overworked. That is the biggest story I can think of. He is eventually murdered? Yeah. And leaves a clue in his dying moments and all that. Uh, we got Peyton Riley after. Ooh, uh, I will say real quick in the story he is killed in is a very good story. Uh, if from Batman face the face, which is a semi sequel to hush. Cause it follows up what happens with two face mm. and is 
one of the better Two-Face stories I've ever read. Um, and I think he, he was turned into a Black Lantern during... I believe so. I hated Black Lantern, the Blackest Night, a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. So... I didn't read it. Peyton Riley is the second ventriloquist. She... That's an interesting one. Oh, real quick, I should say, Wesker is alive again in the New 52 continuity where they got rid of this murder, but hasn't been used significantly. Let's go on to Peyton Riley. Unlike Wesker, she gets along with her Scarface almost all the time. I believe it's the same dummy or part of the same dummy because that dummy got shot as well as Wesker in... Well, and I'm not... I haven't read enough Peyton Riley. I haven't seen enough Peyton Riley to know this for sure, but... If it is the same one, then she has a main one and other ones because the two biggest differences between her and Wesker is that she tends to almost always agree with the dummy, which leads to them just straight up committing crimes together a lot. And they flirt a lot. And that's the other thing. She thinks she's kind of in a relationship with the dummy, but she also gets out of situations. She also gets out of situations by blowing up the dummies. All of her dummies are almost all rigged to explode. Huh. So I don't know if it's the original dummy. She might have an original one at home, though, like her home dummy as compared to, like, her work dummies. She doesn't appear much. I'm looking over this. Uh, I mean, she was only created recently. She was created in, like, 2005, 6, somewhere around that. Uh, the latest appearance I'm seeing of her is somewhere around 2008. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, Scarface and the Ventriloquist were never crazy strong villains in the first place. So a legacy version of them wasn't super, didn't have a ton of staying power. She was fine. I would like to see more of her. I think in some ways she has more range than Wesker has. Although uh, the like appearance wise, design wise, I thought Wesker and uh, the Ventrilo- or and Scarface were a stronger pairing. Uh, I was going to say, the, the biggest thing I remember them from is uh, Batman the Animated Series, where one of the interesting things with that is they show up a, like three or four times. I can't remember. Enough that I remember it strongly. But the thing is, with the animated series, because Scarface wasn't considered a living person, they got to like violently kill him every episode. So he gets like crushed and set on fire he gets beheaded by fucking (laughs) he gets shot uh, yeah but they were able to get it through standards and practices because it wasn't a real person in the same way that samurai jack the reason they made everything robots was so they could do violent blood scenes and just be like black it's oil yeah exactly same and so they all the things that they couldn't do with everybody else in the show they could do with Scarface. And so they killed him off like every single time. I think he showed up. If you have any interest in Scarface and we'll talk about the last one still, but, uh, Batman, the animated series is where I would recommend, uh, real quick on the last one, Shauna, not uh, Shauna Belzer Mm -hmm. first appeared in the new 52. She was created by Gail Simone. She is my least favorite thing I have ever seen Gail Simone do, but it's still pretty good because Gail Simone's a great writer. She looks kind of like a corpse and her version of the puppet looks a lot like the puppet from Saw. Oh, 
Okay, like Billy the Puppet. That's weird. Or I, I have no idea. I've never seen Saw, but I just recognized that it looked more like the. I'm gonna uh, look her up right now because I've I've never encountered Shauna Belzer. Shauna's big thing is she can move things with her mind, so she is doing it much more violently, uh, and it, a much stronger argument that the puppets are alive, even though they're not. Her big thing is that she joins the Secret Six, which is an absolutely bombshell comic book that everyone should read. And, but she's the least likable character. She's designed not to be likable. So when I call her the least likable character, that's not unfair. Oh yeah. Yeah. Her puppet definitely has Billy the Puppet type vibes. Not completely, but I see it. I see it. Her puppet's name is Ferdy and is, unlike the others, not evil in the... I mean, he's still a crazed murderer, but uh, when she betrays the Secret Six... Spoilers. Ferdy is like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do that. They're the only people that haven't dis like despised and tried to kill us. They don't like us very much, but like hmm. we got a kind of family thing going on. And she... Ditches him. Oh. Interesting. Okay. She sounds like she could end up being interesting. I don't... She was from the era where they needed to make Batman a little more horror-based. Than... You can do some great horror stuff with Batman. One of the characters we're going to mention soon is extremely horror-based and creepy. But... Uh... She was horror-based in ways that I just didn't feel were entirely necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't add much to the character. Yeah, it was just... To make her, like, a you know much more serial killer. I prefer unhinged mobster, weird Batman crime Gamboni family edge as opposed to serial killer Batman. I also get tired of every Batman villain being serial killer villain. I want a wider variety of characters for Batman to have to take out because with serial killer, it quickly just becomes Batman's going to punch him. I like the more like detective. The, the Batman has to think more episodes mm -hmm. of Batman. Uh, so we got three others to get to what, where do we want to finish off the, the super educated ones first, or do we want to move on to the crazier ones? Yeah, let's go with professor pig next. Okay. We have two more super educated ones. Professor pig is probably the most recent of the ones. He is first appears in Batman six, six, six created by Grant Morrison and Andy Kubert. He doesn't appear much in that one. He is much more common in Batman and Robin, also by Grant Morrison, with Frank Quitely right, er, drawing the character. Uh, he was, as I said, definitely created by Kubert, but I wanted to mention Quitely because Quitely did a lot more with the character and like defining the physicality mm -hmm. than Kubert uh, got to do. Also, I like Frank Quitely's name because it's a variation on Quite Frankly. I don't remember his real name, but that's why he picked it. That's awesome. I just kind of assumed that was his real name. I, I thought no so, idea. too, for a long time. Uh, Frank Quitely is known for, as I said, Batman and Robin. He was on New X-Men with Grant Morrison. And also with Grant Morrison, he did uh, the strongman character that spun out of Doom Patrol, uh, Flex Mentalo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to Professor Pig, his real name is Laszlo something? Laszlo Valentine. He is an absolute creepazoid of a character. He is one of the creepiest Batman villains, and he is one of the ones that Nightwing is portrayed as legitimately scared of. 
Yeah. Which I really enjoy. Even Damian Wayne's... I mean, Damian Wayne is actually not even a little... Damian Wayne is just scared of him. Which takes a lot to do. Professor Pig considers himself an artist, and he is an unhinged surgeon. Those two things do not go well together. And he tends to perfect people in his terms. There's two different things he tends to do. He either turns them into his Dolatrons. God, they were creepy. We'll get to that in a sec. What's the other thing? Or he turns them into uh, animal-people hybrids. Yeah, kind of a Hugo Strange's. Ooh, make Professor Pig like Hugo Strange's number two or something like that in our big yeah, like in that. a big Hugo Strange story. He also tends to like play a lot of opera and he dances in a weirdly sexy like kind of twerky way in some of his stuff. He oinks and squeals an uncomfortable amount. The character feels very Grant Morrison. Oh, oh, definitely. His all these things we're saying about him, I think, make a lot more sense if you sort of go into the way that Morrison said his, like his, or even just like the origin of his name, because all of these things exist about him. Pig is P Y G, not P I G. Although he does wear a pig mask that looks super creepy, and I love it. Uh, a reference to the mythical uh, Pygmalion, who was the sculptor that fell in love with his own sculpture which was turned into a play in 1913 by George Bernard Shaw, which was then adapted into a movie as My Fair Lady. I did not know that. My Fair Lady is a retelling of Pygmalion. <laughs> that takes away even more agency than My Fair Lady already did. Uh, Rex Harrison, who starred in My Fair Lady, also starred in Dr. Doolittle. Man who talks to... Animals. Animals. That's such a Morrison move. Jesus Christ. And all of these things kind of exist simultaneously for the character, as well as being the inspiration. Pig is creepy in a serial killer way. So just as much as I just said I get tired of Batman serial killer villains, he's a good one. Um, He's kind of a short guy. He often wears a, like, uh, dress shirt and a bow tie with it. He usually has a like butcher's apron over that. And he wears a pig mask with just his face being, or not just his face, just his mouth being revealed. And he's often covered in blood and carrying like a butcher's knife. He is not a surgeon. You want surgeoning on you. And I think like his other inspirations are things like the experiments where they would have animals imprint, uh, onto like objects as their mother figures combined with uh, mythology of mother figure deities throughout ancient Mesopotamia. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> it all sounds very Morrison. It's very, if you like, so Morrison. If you like anything about Grant Morrison, you will enjoy this. He, uh, we should explain, you mentioned the Dolotrons. The Dolotrons is, he decides that he can make little girls more beautiful and also his like murder puppets by putting some kind of creepy ass mask on them that melts their face with acid basically. Yeah. And like grafts itself to their face. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Not melts with it grafts itself to the face. So if they ever try and tear it off, they tear off the face with it, which is again, very serial killer, creepy murderer, Grant Morrison vibe all dressed up in a similar costume. And then they are brainwashed 
into being his little murder puppets because it turns out people don't like punching children. And he's made his own mother out of nails and boards. Dude is unhinged. There is not really a plot when he's up to anything. He's just unhinged. I'm going to have to read more Professor Pig after learning more about him. I actually first learned about the character because um, the follow-up to Batman Brave and the Bold was Beware an, the Batman. an animated series, Beware the Batman, which was interesting partially just because they got rid of Robin at first and used Katana as uh, Batman's sidekick. But the very first episode is them versus Professor Pig and Mr. Toad. Which was another Grant Morrison creation. He was openly leaning into other uh, uh, fairy tales because they'd done a whole lot of Alice in Wonderland. And he's like, mm-hmm. let's do some other stuff. So Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Uh, this version of Professor Pig, who I definitely wanted to mention, so thank you, is... Also, you just helped me decide my recommendation. Um, but this version of Professor Pig is much tamer because this was a kid's WB show. It, it was still kind of a darker show. Yes, but, but he's not fucking... Yeah, he's not... Mm, Dollatrons. Yeah, he's not basically the creepy alchemist from Full Metal Alchemist that combines his daughter with a dog for some reason. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the vibe Professor Pig gives off to. Yeah, he's not Shao Tucker. He is just... Show? I don't remember. Mm. And the, the, he's just kind of a more goofy foil for Batman being difficult when he's trying to deal with bigger problems. That was a fun version of him. It, it, is, cl- it is the only way you could do this version for a kid's show. He also appears in Gotham, where I do not... Further re- along than I've seen. Because neither of us got that far, because Gotham realized they could just do the crazy stuff. Do you know who plays him in that? I want to give proper credit. Oh, also, he was voiced by Brian George in Beware the Batman. Mm. He's voiced by Dwight Schultz in Arkham Knight. I did not know he was in Arkham Knight. Uh, he was portrayed by Michael Cerverus and... There's a Suicide Squad animated movie that he pops up in where he's voiced by James Urbaniak. Who that is, is so good. Who's Rusty Venture. Oh, man. James Urbaniak. I want to just love James Urbaniak. Also, real quick. William Dwight Schultz is Murdoch from the A-Team and Barkley from the uh, l- l- Next Gen, which we talked about. Up yes. Us. So that's also sort of incredible. That's that, that's a creepy voice. Like, it's not who I would have thought of, but I can see him playing mm-hmm. Professor Pig pretty well. I don't have much more to add on Professor Pig. I just wanted to mention him because he is one of my favorite Batman villains of the last, like, 15 years. He's, uh, this sounds, considering who the character is, this is going to sound weird, but he's one of the characters where I felt like if I was going to write a story set in this universe, especially like in the Batman villains, I feel like I could write Professor Pig. It's a, it's got a very horror, uh, sometimes it's up write. to gore porn. Yeah. I mean, not really, but like you could. I mean, you could very easily. Uh, bent to it in a similar way that Zaz, I'm not going to say speaks to you because that makes you sound like you desperately need more help than I we were know. implying. But uh, I, I can see you being you and you being the horror fan that you are why this character would speak to you in certain ways. And the Grant Morrison fan. And the Grant Morrison fan. And again, I really like Professor Big, and I don't like horror, so if it works for you, who does, and me, who doesn't, 
maybe it's just a things strong are working. Yeah. yeah, you can't overuse him. If he appeared a lot, he would one Gotham would become the absolute horror show beyond what it already is, and two, it just wouldn't. Two left. Let's if we're going with bright people first and the anti-intellectualism streak. Uh, I say Manbat next. Yeah, Dr. Kirk Langstrom, who we've brought up a number of times just because we've both been really enjoying the, the We're big Justice, Justice League, League Dark, Dark fans. He's great in that. That's Man- probably my favorite Man It's Bat. absolutely my favorite Manbat. Uh, it is a, a better use for him. A lot of times, like, Manbat was an obvious creation when you have Batman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but they oftentimes don't know what to do with him. He's like goddamn Man Spider. He, right? <laughs> He first appears in Detective Comics 400 in June of 1970, which confirms that he comes after the Lizard, which I was not sure about. Okay. So I really do think he is, without having confirmation of this, Batman's answer to the Lizard, because their story is remarkably similar. Mm -hmm. He was created by Frank Robbins and Neil Adams, with Julius Schwartz coming up with the concept. We've never talked about Schwartz on this show before, but he really does deserve credit as a truly excellent editor through DC's history. Um, His alter ego is Robert Kirkland Langstrom. I did not know the Kirkland part because that's not very important. (laughs) Although it does make him sound like Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, and that amuses me now. For some reason, it just reminds me of Bradward. Bradward. He was trying to give uh, humans a bat's sonar senses, took bits of bats injected him into himself, turns into the Man-Bat. I mean, he is the lizard, but for Batman. I was about to say, I think in a couple of the versions, they've made it so that he was doing that to try to help deaf people. Some deaf people, I bet in some soldier version, I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, if you want a sound-based villain shriek from Batman Beyond is much stronger. Mm. We, we could, I could do an entire list just on Batman Beyond's villains because it was so good, but not the point of this. Kirk, Kirk Langstrom is not the character himself. Kirk is not that interesting. He's a kind of jumpy scientist that accidentally turns into a monster. We have seen this variation of Jekyll Hyde a thousand times. So I, he's not interesting at first. I think I was trying, I was thinking about this earlier. I think part of what I like man bat in the new justice league dark is because they, ended up making him kind of what Beast on the X-Men is sort of supposed to be, I yeah. think. Like, Beast, I think, is supposed to be a little bit more... Like, we're su- we're kind of supposed to think of, like, oh, poor Beast, he can't hide that he's a mutant. Mm-hmm. But then, once you get over the fact that, like, whatever, he's blue and covered his hair, it's then like being in a room with a super smart fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger that can climb on fucking walls. Yeah. Like he's, he's not actually quite as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he still is very useful in that. He's really fucking cool. Um, what I just like dark man bat when he's not like hulked out, he's not cool. Like he's kind of a pathetic Batman man bat. Yeah. Uh, but he's a good scientist, and then he gets his unfortunate part with the fuller transformation where he also then can't fully control himself. Here is where they suffered from Manbat before I go too much into the dark, which we'll happily, we'll mm-hmm. happily talk about Justice League Dark Manbat. Is 
you kind of had limited stories of what you could do with him. It's the same failing of the lizard because man bat doesn't have much of a personality. He was just a shrieking, angry man bat thing. Flew through the skies. Batman had to take him out. There's no plotting with man bat. There's no, it's just, oh my God, I'm becoming the man bat again. Help me, Batman. Whoops, didn't work. Guess I'm the man bat now. He, in some versions, has a wife, much like he, much like Kirk Connors does. Similar, not much interesting goes on with them. She's Francine Langstrom. She helps out the outsiders at one point, but literally mm. I could tell you nothing about her. She's I know also she's a scientist. Been, I was about to say, I know that she's been turned into She-Bat at least once, if not multiple times. Because this was during the era that if you introduced a female version of the character, it became she Whoever. She bat. She spawn. She dragon. She hulk. Did he ever get mat fucking mashed up when they did the Amalgam comics? I don't know, but I guarantee you it's with the lizard if they did. See, or I mean, it was lizard bat or something, which li- is actually sounds fucking sick, but lizard's the obvious one. I would have mashed him up with uh, Michael Morbius. Ooh, that would have been a good one too with uh, the living vampire. Mm hmm. They quickly admit that they don't really know what to do with Man Bat, so their solution, because they liked the character, like, the character design is solid. He looks cool. Was to have Rachel Ghoul get access to the Man Bat serum and start transforming his minions. I think it was actually Talia, not Rage. Mm. Credit where it's due. Uh, to the, like, foot soldiers for the League of Assassins. The, like, you know, throwawayable henchmen. So she had an army of man-bats at her disposal. Man-bat ninjas. Which is also, I feel like, a pretty good reference to Usagi Ojimbo, where there's ninja-bats. So, you just saw me flip off my computer screen. I did. I was just wondering what was going on. Because I'm I'm realizing that uh, I said that the Justice League Dark version might be my favorite. And that's because there's one other very notable version of Kirk Langstrom that exists that is not mentioned in the Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. There's an animated movie, uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters, where Kirk Langstrom, as a more vampire version of the man bat, becomes Batman. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Gods and Monsters is supposed to be really good. It's amazing. It's incredible how well the asshole versions of the Trinity actually work. I can see it, yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment too much on that one. That actually is more interesting than Douchey Batman. Mm-hmm. We've seen, we, I mean, I've read Dark Knight Returns. I've seen Douchey Batman for a lifetime. Let's talk a little bit about Justice League Dark one before skipping on. In this one, this version of Justice League Dark is led by Wonder Woman to tackle the supernatural and stuff. Batman speaks for him and convinces Wonder Woman to take on Langstrom as their professor as their science no person guy because he wants to prove that he is more than just the man bat that langstrom is actually a genius in a lot of ways like when bruce banner decides to do sciencey things again mm-hmm. be like i'm not just the hulk damn it he's doing the same thing here he does end up creating an alternate version of the man bat serum where he can be a little more useful and actually go out in the field a little bit but it does give him a bat head on his normal human body but not like monstery half man, half bat head like he usually has, but 
Just a bat head. Just, it's a just, big, goofy bat head. Uh, he's always wearing, like, a tweed suit and a bow tie, and he's a giant fucking dork, and he's great paired with Detective Chimp. Oh, he's so good paired with Detective Chimp. This is another very Beast thing where he's getting excited about weird... Beast is my favorite X-Men, and they've been doing him dirty the last couple of years, forgetting that he's supposed to be, like, excitable and having fun. Mm-hmm. This is one that he's like, wow, those are zombies. I want to see what makes them tick, like, and kind of bordering that line between magic and science that characters like Dr. Frankenstein did or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the original Invisible Man. Like, this feels like old school, early sci-fi, early horror, before even Hammer got their hands on the character kind of set up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... I mean, that's the ver- if you want to get into Man Bat, that's the version to get into. Honestly, it's other than your Gods and Monsters one, where it's pretty much let's have him be nothing like Man Bat. This is the version that's actually worth doing. I think there is another Batman animated series appearance that he I was going to say the biggest the the biggest thing I I or I don't know if it's the biggest thing I know about Man Bat, but uh, the very first produced episode of Batman the Animated Series, uh, although not the first aired, was on Leather Wings, which uh, Man Bat is the villain in. The It starts with, like, following Man Bat as he's flying through Gotham, and that's when we first see that, like, beautiful Art Deco Gotham that appears in the animated series. Mm-hmm. While he's flying, there's a helicopter pilot that goes, oh, what's that? Or I, I saw, so I can't remember what exactly what he says, but I think he says like, oh, what was that? He's voiced by Kevin Conroy. Oh, great. Oh, good. But That's here's so the cool thing to that. That shot of Man Bat flying through Gotham is reversed but mirrored shot for shot in the last episode of Justice League Unlimited epilogue where it's mirrored by Terry McGinnis flying as Batman Beyond through Gotham and at the very end of it a police officer looks up and says what was that and it's Kevin Conroy the Bruce Tim Paul Denny series of DC animated shows is the possibly the greatest version of DC that's ever existed it is so good from beginning to end Also, just Batman Beyond was like their magnum opus as far as I'm concerned. But all of it was just (laughs) the only one I didn't like was Zeta Project, which I don't think was actually them, but just spun out of their thing. Mm. And I can forget about Zeta Project pretty easily unless I want to make fun of it. Um, Man Bat has appeared. There have been a couple different versions in Gotham, but not Man Bat specifically. But, you know. But people man have, bats. Yeah, man bats. Uh, he has appeared in pretty much every cartoon ever because he is, again, the perfect cartoon supervillain for Batman to have to track down for an episode. It's such an easy monster of the week. Yes. Again, so man bat is B-list, not because he's not good, but because he's really limited on what you can do with him. Last one. The calendar. Julian Gregory Day. Calendar Man. Calendar Man. Fuck his name, by the way. <laughs> Julian Gregory Day. God damn it. Yep, comic I know. Comic book names. I know. It is God the most comic booky of comic book God names. damn it, comic book names. Anyway. <laughs> most notable for being completely fucking goofy up until the long Halloween? 
Yeah. One sec. I'm sorry. I did not. He's the only one I didn't have loaded up on Wikipedia for the specific. So, of course, he's, you know, uh, his first appearance was in Detective Comics number 259 in September of 1958. The 50s was a remarkably bad time for comic books and not a very good time for Batman. And it shows he was created by Bill Finger and Sheldon Moldoff. Bill Finger still doing great work. Even there were some real gems in this time too, but in some cases he was kind of phoning it in. Let's uh, throw something at the wall, whatever it lands on, we'll make a villain of. Whoop, that was the calendar. I missed the pictures. I'm not saying that was his process, but that was, I'm sure, was his process. <laughs> That's the best. It's kind of like later Stephen King novels where you're like, uh, just whatever's close. Okay, this is now the bad guy. Cocaine. <laughs> Oof. Um,. His original costume is bad, but kind of fun in the, like, D-list supervillain kind of way. I mean, in a lot of ways, if you say, like, B-list or lower Batman villain, he's kind of what you imagine. Yeah. He is a genius inventor who's obsessed with the calendar. He makes weapons that are all calendar-based. He does crimes that are all calendar and holiday-based. Dude, the cape. The cape looks like a calendar, if I remember correctly. As I said, I kind of like his design. His original one. Uh, Tim Sale does it in non-versions we're about to get to, I believe, where it looks pretty good. It doesn't look actually good, but, like, fun, bad, good. He doesn't have much of interest to say or do until Batman the Long Halloween. <sighs> Long Halloween is created by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It is honestly probably a better, I'm going to compare it to Hush because it is a Loeb Batman story. I was going to say if there is something that's better than Hush, it's, it's Long the Long Halloween. Halloween. And possibly Year One. As much as I'm not a big Frank Miller fan, Year One is a truly excellent comic book. Long Halloween could be its own episode really easily. Uh, We're not going to go into it. The all. basic premise of it here is he took this character that no one gave a fuck about because it's the calendar man and reinvented him into a, uh, a Silence of the Lambs. What's his name? Yeah, he's uh, used as Hannibal Lecter, Lecter thank the you. series. Um, They're literally going and consulting with him, and he already knows the answer and is just kind of stringing them along. Because someone is committing murders... In date-based themes. Yeah, they, the, the, the villain is called Holiday, because it's all holiday-based. And so the initial thought is, well, Calendar Man, but, but he's, he's in Arkham, and he's been in Arkham. This version redesigns him as a small, kind of heavyset, kind of effeminate-looking man. Not creepy, but just... He becomes creepy, but not because he's effeminate. That's what I'm trying to say. Right, yeah, it's, um, that's not what makes him creepy, he He's, is drawn creepy, but not because of the effeminate, but I because just, of yeah. everything else. Sorry, that could have just come out yeah. really badly, so I wanted to make sure. He is bald. In some versions, he has the uh, dates like of the calendar tattooed around like 1 through 10 in Roman numerals. Oh, it's, uh, like that's especially how he appears in the Arkham games, right? Yep, I think yeah. that's where that version comes from. And Batman goes to him basically for advice, and... Uh, calendar man fucks with him because it's fun for him. And what else is he going to do? He is portrayed as extremely dangerous here when he's not Locked being up. the goofy 
villain here. And this version has stuck ever since because this version is significantly stronger. They still don't use him a lot because it's still a somewhat limited concept. I murder based on the holidays. But this one's a lot of fun. So I was going to say, if if people don't know him from The Long Halloween, they probably know him from... Um, Arkham City. I think it's Arkham it? City that you can go visit him. Is it City or Asylum? It's in Arkham City that you can actually okay. go. So because f- in Arkham City, you can... Well, in Arkham Asylum, you can go to his cell. Oh, and okay. like when you go to it... I don't think he's in it, but it's obviously his cell because there's a bunch of calendars and shit all up, and that's what it unlocks his biography. Storyline-wise, Arkham Asylum was a much stronger game. I mean, both are good, but... It's in City, though, where you can go visit his cell, and he'll say things, and if you go on certain dates, like holidays... He'll he'll, have different things to say. He'll tell you a story of a crime he committed on that holiday. And they're all usually pretty fucked up, and if you set your game console to the date that uh, Rocksteady was founded, he has even an, another dialogue. That one I didn't know. That's cool. It is one of those things that made the Arkham games as strong as they were. This just absurd attention to detail. I think it's one of the things that went wrong with Origin. It didn't have that same absurd attention to detail. And small things. None of this advances the story at all. It's not even one of the, like, B-plots. You don't have to stop him from murder or anything. He's just there being creepy. Sorry, I just wanted to see if I could see find any of his crimes from those. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, if you go visit him on New Year's Day, it's New Year's Day, old acquaintance, be forgotten, all that. I made sure she wouldn't forget me that day, didn't I, Batman? It was the first New Year's party I'd been invited to in a long time. I'll bet that I, was, I wasn't really invited, was I? Uh, and then, yeah, he goes off and says the exact crime he committed. Like, it's really fucking creepy and cool. The, the last thing I'll mention is in Long Halloween, the reason he helps Batman is because he is worried that he is being forgotten. And he is unwilling to deal with that. Yeah. He doesn't work super well when like when he's broken out and they're like, oh, shit, we have to stop him. That was good. But like just him being out and about isn't super strong. He's better as like I need into the mind of this well, villain. He's super fucking cool in the long Halloween, but he's more important to what's actually going on in Dark Victory. And it's not as good. Dark Victory is not nearly as strong. It's cool. It's a great fall. Like, it, it is finishes a, off the story. It's it is strong, an absolutely but... worthy sequel. It's just not as good because it is aware that it is a follow-up. And how do you make the mystery connect to the previous mystery while still being a strong mystery in its own right? It's a tall order. And they come close. Like, it's essential Batman reading as far as I'm concerned. It's just not a, like, it's an A instead of an A+. plus. Right. And it... He technically does a lot more in Dark Victory than he does in Long Halloween. Yes. But, but he's more iconic in Long Halloween. Absolutely. Fuck, that's such a good version of the character. <laughs> that, I believe, is our list. Our B list, our as it were. Hall B of Arkham Asylum. Do not set these halls up like the way we're talking about, because these are all brilliant psychopaths, and the previous one has already exploded, because holy crap, there were so many big-name villains in it. Right? God, where are we going to go next? We already started talking about it. Oh, I I have a whole list. I could do it tomorrow. 
We won't. We're not going to, though, because <laughs> we have other plans. So this is actually, this episode kind of fits in in the beginning of, as we mentioned, spooky season is coming up. And we were talking about what we wanted to do for Halloween because we didn't just want to do a horror movie because one, I don't like horror movies that much, so I wouldn't have a, a great addition to it. And two, we have this other whole fucking podcast. You have this whole other fucking podcast about horror movies. I didn't feel that I could add anything to the conversation really with a few small exceptions uh, that you two wouldn't already have. And we're still going to cross you over at some oh, point. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to do a bunch of, like, you're like, Bruce Campbell movie. I'll be like, I'm in. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that wasn't, like you said, I already do a horror movie podcast every week. There's no real sense in doing a horror so, movie. So we came up with a list of spooky ideas, and then we just kind of decided to do all of them because they were all really good. Just to tell you, next week's, we're going to be jumping into Weird Tales, the magazine that brought you H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, and Clark Ashton Smith. Basically, if you weren't into pulp, we're going to We're going to do what you can to... We're, we did our best to choose some good stories to start in on a pulp journey. All three characters will probably... All three writers will probably get their own unique stories later, but we just wanted to give you a introduction. This is way more explanation than we usually put into what we're doing next week, but I was excited. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm still excited. <laughs> um, you know I'm excited because I'm a giant Lovecraft fan. I'm also excited because we're going to get to say Lovecraft was racist like 15 more oh, times, so many times at least. And Howard. Probably Smith, but Probably I don't know Smith. Uh, But before we tell you where you can find that and that other podcast... What are your recommendations for this week? That's right. Ooh, recommendations. We forget about recommendations like 75% of the time. I had one. Fuck. I'll go first. I'll let you think. We could have edited this out, but we're not gonna. Um, I'm going to go with Beware the Batman, the series we were just talking about, because in my opinion, it is a criminally underrated Batman cartoon. It came out after The Batman, which was the first non- uh, Paul Denny, Bruce, Tim, Batman animated series in years. And it was okay. But where the Batman recognized that a lot of the characters had become overused and they wanted to tap into lesser known characters of the Batman mythos, which as we have discussed over this podcast, I am a sucker for lesser known characters. So Katana becomes his sidekick from the outsiders instead of Robin or any of those. Uh, Joker never appears. Two-Face eventually appears, like uh, Harvey Dent appears several times, but not Two-Face much. We don't get really Mr. Freeze or any of those. We get characters like Anarchy. We get characters like Magpie, Professor Pig, Mr. Toad. The, the villains that you would not expect to see in a Batman series. Again, as I said, Harvey Dent shows up and the biggest name character was Deathstroke. But even then, when this came out was right before Deathstroke blew up in the way that Deathstroke has. And so bringing him into a Bat series was still a big deal. And it's still not like the super recognizable rogues gallery. The animation style is the weakest point of it, but it's not bad. It's just, eh, it's fine, but the the series itself is underrated. Uh, all right, all right. I'm not sure what it was that I was going to recommend, but 
I put together a few things we've said this episode, along with some a couple things you just said, and I came up with a new recommendation. Uh, first, I remembered that there was one other thing that I did start watching this weekend, uh, season two of the same show that I'm about to recommend. If you have access to DC Universe, because I think that's the only thing it's on right now, which means it'll probably be on something else coming up soon once DC Universe no longer has HBO shows Go on it. or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, Krypton was really good. Oh, I heard Krypton was great. Krypton should not have worked in any way whatsoever. I love the first season. I started in on the second season this Speaking week. Speaking of Adam Strange. Yeah, so the, like, Adam Strange shows up. For Krypton shouldn't work because... <laughs> Krypton, first off, shouldn't work because it's a show about Kryptonians that's set on Krypton, which means they don't have fucking powers. They don't have powers. You know what's gonna happen. Yeah, you know that Krypton blows up. Is it... About Jor-El, like his no. dad, or is it farther back? It's about Jor-El's dad. You know, in some ways I like that better, because you don't be like, we're going to get a couple seasons to like this guy. No, he's going to kick the bucket. No, we know his plan is going to kick the bucket at some point in the future. And, like, it shouldn't be interact. You know what happens. You know they die. You know that the important one is the grandson. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly, you're in Candor City. Which the bottle city of Kandor is such a big thing in the Superman mythos that that feels big. And Adam Strange shows up from the future with a basically, it's basically back to the future, right? With like the, the photo like is dissolving as time and back to the, the past future gets is being up. changed. And so yeah. he has Superman's cape and he goes, when this disappears, we're fucked up. Finds Segel. And is like, your grandson is the most important hero the universe has ever known. But you run into Segel right after the L family has been stricken from Kryptonian records for his grandfather being a heretic scientist. And he is madly in love in a mutual relationship with Azad. And you don't know what the f- how this is going to work. That sounds amazing. Uh, it, it tried to have a kind of Game of Thronesy vibe, if I remember, which well, um, they tried to advertise it at least yeah. as having a kind of Game of Thronesy vibe. Well, um, God, what's his name? Um, Sir Barristan Selmy's in it. <laughs> That's he's, great. He's Segal's grandfather. Um, I think it's. I've always liked the Kryptonian culture and I've always wanted to know more. Any, I mean, I like Klingons. Anytime they're like the house of so-and-so, I'm probably going to like that culture. Uh, Krypton's and, always been on my watch list. And then Brainiac shows up. Of course he does. Which you're like, okay, Bottle City of Candor, that makes sense. But then General Zod shows up from the future. Unfortunately, in live action, whenever I think of General Zod, is not the General Zod from Superman 2, who was actually pretty strong, but the General Zod from Smallville, who was played by one of the Grim Reapers from Dead Like Me. <laughs> the the druggy one that died. He was played by Callum Blue? Yeah. That's hilarious. And it's kind of good and kind of terrible. Like it is the most emo bullshitty general Zod I've ever seen. Cause it's like from the past brought forward before he turns evil. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, no, this Zod is played by, oh, I can't think of, I think his name is Colin Salmon. He was the, God, was he friend of the family or did he work for them? In Arrow, the guy that Arrow's mom gets with after. Oh, him. He plays yeah. Dr. Moon and Dr. Who as well. Yeah. Um, I like him. Yeah, he's Zod. Ooh. Ooh. Happy noises. Uh, and also Lobo appears in it. Lobo appears in the second season, and that's where I'm at right now, and it's amazing. Oh, you you just lit up like it was Christmas Day. Oh. Maybe it's... we'll talk about this. I love this podcast because there's nowhere else in the world I get to talk about fucking Krypton. It does make me sad, though, that we never got a Jason Momoa Lobo directed by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I would have watched that. Yeah, I would have watched that. <laughs> um... Anyway, yeah, that's my right. Krypton <laughs> was way, way better. It did get canceled after the second season. So you only have the two seasons. It's so much better than it ever should have been for being a show about Kryptonians on Krypton. Oh, okay. So we're both of, basically our theme for these recommendations is shows canceled too early that should not have worked. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we already <laughs> told you we're doing pulp shit next. In order to listen to that... Uh, hit subscribe here listening to us right now. That'd be super fucking cool. Uh, in order to go along with that, uh, if you can rate and review however you're listening to us, that would be super helpful to help get us into the algorithms, spread around the word more. You can always just tell people in real life, too. We wouldn't mind that we would one love bit. That. Or, like, share shit around online or be like, yo, go listen to these guys because they know what they're talking about sometimes. Or reach out to us, guys. I would I'd still love to hear you. Can you can always reach out to us by contacting us through our website, which is www.generalnerdcast.com or by emailing us uh, generalnerdrypod at gmail.com. While you're over at the website, you listen to all of our back catalog. Uh, you click the links up at the top. We are part of the Earvern Podcast Network. Go listen to the other shows on the network. As we've mentioned, I talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirm, Zach. And I talk with my buddy Malark uh, about war and war gaming and war treatises and how all of those connect. And we have more things to come, some of which we've already previewed. If you go listen to our back catalog, you can find out when we did that. I'm not even going to tell you. Go figure it out by You'll listening to episodes. It. Go figure it out. Um, what am I missing? Find us as General Nerdery on social medias. Listen to us, love us, we love you, reach out to us. We really appreciate getting this chance. I was thinking about this today. I've mentioned it before, but this has been one of the things that's helped me get through this pandemic in a way that I really appreciate. Getting this chance, getting to come here, and getting to talk about stuff that I literally can't anywhere else. And we're going to continue doing that. In the meantime, we're your Generals of Nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed! Dismissed.